let's begin this morning in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And I want to show you just a few passages of Scripture. And yes, they're repetitive, but God allows them to be repeated for emphasis. He wants us to realize the importance of generational iniquity. And here's what he says as he speaks to the nation of Israel. And this is the same chapter where he gives us the Ten Commandments. But it says that God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then notice what he says Egypt was. Out of the house of bondage. Egypt was a picture of bondage for the children of God. And God said, I'm bringing you out of your bondage. And then he says this. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. Matter of fact, he tells them later that you are not to worship any other gods. Now, why was that big for them? Well, because they're coming out of Egypt. And Egypt was a nation that worshipped many different gods. They had a god for every aspect of life. And so, they just believed that the more gods you had, the more blessed you would be. And so if God would have just told them, if he would have just said, worship me, then they would have not had a problem with that because they would have just added God to their already long list of gods thinking that they would be even more blessed. But where they had a problem is when God told them to forsake, to do away with all of their other gods and to serve him only. And then he goes on in this passage and says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now let me just say this right up front. Every generational iniquity is rooted and grounded in idolatry. Every generational iniquity. Things that we put ahead of God. And, and he said, you shall not make for yourself the carved image. And when you go back and you study the nation of Israel, the generational iniquity in that nation was idolatry. They kept going back to idolatry. And because of their idolatry, God allowed them to continue to go back into bondage. And it wasn't that God put them in bondage, it was their sin that put them in their bondage. And he said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, look at this, the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, Upon the children, look at this, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, who are those who hate him? Those who disobey him. Those who doesn't do what he's commanded them to do. And notice he said that the iniquity of the fathers would be visited upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that we will be punished for the sins of our fathers. And neither is he saying that we are responsible for the sins of our fathers. We are only responsible for our own transgressions and our own sin. But what he's saying is, is that we will feel the impact of the consequences of those sins, even to the fourth generation. And what he's saying is from generation to generation to generation. And then he says this, he said, but I'm also a God that shows mercy. I think it's interesting that we've sung so much today about God's grace. And about God's mercy. But he said, I show mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Because when you love God, you do 
what God tells you to do. And so notice, God is not the one who curses us for our disobedience. Because a lot of people say, well, why would God curse us? God doesn't. Sin is a curse. And when we disobey God, the consequences of our sin is a curse. Here's what I want you to see about God. God is always showing us a way out of our bondage so that we can be blessed. God is a God who blesses, not a God who curses. Amen? And God does not want us cursed. He did tell us that if we disobey, we would be cursed because that's the consequences of sin. But he said that if we would obey him, that we would be blessed. And God wants everybody in this room here today, God wants you blessed and highly favored of him. Let's read another passage in Exodus 34, and it does sound repetitive, verses 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that tells us more about the character of God than any other passage in the Bible. It tells us that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's long-suffering, that he abounds in goodness, that he abounds in truth, and he keeps mercy for thousands, look at this, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. In other words, there are consequences to sin. In other words, we have to appropriate what Jesus has already done for us at the cross in order for it to be applied and to work in our lives. So he said, not, not, not clearing the guilty, but then he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Numbers chapter 14 verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Forgiving iniquity and transgression. But by no means clears the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. And then again in Deuteronomy 5.9. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So God lays it out pretty clearly here that there is such a thing as generational iniquity that can be handed down from one generation to the next to the next. But what does that word iniquity mean? Here's, here's what the word iniquity means. It, it actually means inequity. Inequity. It, it means unequal or unfair or unjust. And here's what iniquity looks like. It's when our character is unequal with God's character, which results in a nature that tends towards sin. That's iniquity. Iniquity, and, 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 and something else I want you to notice about iniquity is that iniquity is the inward movement. Sin is the outward movement. Now, you say, what are you talking about there? Well, let, let me just give you an example. Anger is an iniquity. Anger is an iniquity that can be passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next. Now, I know what we say. We say, well, that's just who we are. You know, my daddy was this way. His daddy was that way. My mama was this way. Her mama was that way. You know, we, we, just, we just have a temper. 
And, and, and that's an iniquity, anger. But the sin, the outward manifestation of that could be something as serious as murder. Uh, lust could be an iniquity. Lust that is passed on from generation to generation. Adultery would be the sin. So iniquity is the inward movement. Sin is the outward movement, the outward action. It's that nature that is ingrained within us, that predisposition within us to sin. And I'm going to tell you in just a moment how those things get passed down. But first of all, let me give you an example in Scripture of generational iniquity. How many of you remember Abraham? Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Abraham, the Bible says that there was a famine in the land and he and Sarah went down to Egypt. And when they got to Egypt, Abraham looked at his wife Sarah and he said to her, when we get to Egypt, don't let them know that you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. Now let me tell you what Abraham's doing here. Now he's telling a half truth. Now there's really no such thing as a half truth. You know, because some people would say, well, if it's a half true, it's also a half lie. Well, no, if it's not fully true, it's a lie. But anyway, he's, he's somewhat truthful in this because Sarah is his sister. They have the same father, but they don't have the same mother. No, they were not from Alabama. They're from, <laughs> they were from the land of Ur in the Chaldees. But when he goes to Egypt in this famine, when he goes to Egypt, he says, tell them that you're my sister and not my wife. And, and he was telling a half-truth. Now, fast forward a generation to Isaac. There's a famine in the land. But instead of going to Egypt, God tells Isaac, stay in the land of Gerar. And in the land of Gerar, he goes to the Pharaoh of the Philistines and he tells his wife, Rebekah, he says, listen, he said, when we get there, tell them, or he tells his wife, Isaac tells his wife, he says, tell them that you are my sister, not my wife, because when they see how beautiful you are, they'll kill me so that they can have you. Here's the problem. She wasn't his sister at all. This is just an outright lie. She was his cousin. I know it sounds messed up. Sounds like we're on Jerry Springer here this morning, doesn't it? <laughs> but we're not. She was, she was his cousin, but he said, tell them you're my sister rather than my wife. So where do you think he learned that strategy? He learned that from his father, Abraham, but the sin became greater with him because he flat out lied about who she was. And then you go to the next generation, and the son of Isaac is Jacob. And do you know what the name Jacob means? It means deceiver. He was born a deceiver. He was born to deceive. It, it was a generational iniquity that was ingrained within him. And it took an encounter with God. Do you remember that he wrestled with an angel all night long? And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. But after that encounter, his life was changed. And generations after him was changed because he wrestled with God. He won the battle. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. But we see a pattern here. Let me show you another one. David, King David. You remember, among many things that David did wrong, he committed adultery and murder. He committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. 
and then trying to hide his sin after she gets pregnant from that one night stand trying to hide his sin he has Bathsheba's husband murdered on the battlefield Uriah well how did that affect the next generation well his son Amnon ends up raping his half-sister Tamar and then Absalom the other son of David, when Absalom sees that his dad is not doing anything to Amnon as a result of what he did, and the reason why David wasn't doing anything is because of the guilt that he was still carrying of his own sin. And so Absalom, he tries to usurp the authority of David, take the throne. He kills his brother Amnon, and then he rapes his father's concubines, David's concubines, publicly. And guess where he did it? On the roof of the king's house, the very place where lust first filled the heart of David for Bathsheba. And then you have a third son of David, Solomon, who was the son to he and Bathsheba. And we know how that relationship started. It began in iniquity. It began in sin. And Solomon ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Notice how the iniquity gets stronger and more powerful with every generation. Now, what do you think it was that caused David to have that kind of a predisposition towards sin? I believe the Bible tells us. In Psalm chapter 51, we read David's prayer of confession of his sin. And in verse 5, now I want you to notice what he says. You may have never seen this before. Psalm 51 and 5, he said, Behold, I, David, talking about himself, he said, I was brought forth in iniquity. And then he said, In my sin, or in sin, my mother conceived me. In other words... My mother, either through an adulterous affair or either she got pregnant before she married my father, I was conceived in sin. I was conceived in iniquity. In other words, this has been a generational issue in our family for a long period of time. And it so distressed David trying to break free from that spirit of lust in his life that manifested itself in the way that it did that we find him praying. Listen to what he says in Psalm 118 verse 5. He said, in my anguish, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. Hallelujah. I want everybody in this room here today to know that no no matter how powerful or how strong that generational iniquity may be in your generation, today it can end. Today it can be broken. Today God can deliver and God can set your family free. Let's give God some praise for that. Amen. You say, well, how are these things passed down? I don't have these on the screen, and these are just some things really that the Holy Spirit gave to me. I, I think one of the ways that, that generational iniquity can be passed from one generation to the next is genetically. Now, now we don't have any problem believing in uh, genetics physiologically. We know that when we go to the doctor, they want a family history, don't they? They want to know, has anyone in your family ever had diabetes? Has anyone in your family ever had cancer? They want to know about your physical genetics. 
because that helps them to better determine what you may be encountering at some point in time in your life. Listen, I believe in spiritual genetics. I really do. I believe that if things can be passed physically from generation to generation to generation, I also believe that things can be passed genetically, spiritually, from generation to generation to generation. Another way that it can be passed down is by example. We have a tendency to repeat what we see. Our environment. So if we grow up in an environment where we are getting a wrong example, then that is going to impact our behavior. It's going to shape our thinking, our personality, our attitudes. But not only is there genetics and an example, but sometimes it's just a spiritual thing. You know, there is a law that the Bible talks about that is as real as the law of gravity. And it's the law of sowing and reaping. The Bible says that whatever we sow, that we're going to reap. Another translation says that whatever a man plants, that's what he's going to harvest. And you may not harvest it in your generation. It may be the next generation or the next generation. But this law of sowing and reaping is as real and as powerful as the law of gravity. Perhaps another way that it's gotten to where it is in your generation, maybe somebody at some point in time, and you've got to dig deep. You know, when, when you're trying to find out what, where this, this bondage, this generational iniquity that you struggle with in your life right now, you've got to dig deep because you want to get to the root of things. You, you, you want to make sure that, that you're not just dealing with the surface stuff, but that you're getting to the root and you're going to destroy this thing once and for all in your family. But satanic oppression. Listen, there could be some people in here today that maybe your family at some point in time was involved in some kind of a satanic occult or satanic activity that has an influence still upon your family today. Maybe they were a part of a false religion or a secret organization. Hurts and trauma can open up doors to generational iniquities. I could go on and on and on about how they are passed from one generation to the next. But my main thing that I want to do this morning before we leave is I want to talk to you about how do we break those generational iniquities in our families. And let me tell you where it starts. It starts, first of all, by acknowledging the iniquity. You see, we don't have any problems accepting the positive traits we get from our families. We love that. We love to talk about that. We accept that. Well, yeah, I got my, you know, got this smile from my daddy, got my looks from my mother, got my talent from my dad, got my talent from my granddad, got these. Uh, we don't mind the positive traits. It's the negatives that we don't want to, to acknowledge. But it's the negative ones that are keeping us in bondage. And we need to acknowledge those things in our lives. Notice what David said in that same Psalm, chapter 51. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin notice he said for I acknowledge my transgressions notice he said I acknowledge my part in all of this I acknowledge my part in keeping this generational iniquity in effect he said I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always 
before me. Jeremiah 14 and 20, Jeremiah the prophet prays over the nation of Israel and with the nation of Israel and says, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Did you know that it's biblical for us to repent of the sins of our fathers and our forefathers? Can I tell you a generational iniquity that has not just destroyed individuals and families and communities and states, but a a generational iniquity that if we are not careful can destroy our nation. It's called racism. Now, I don't, you hear me this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that is a generational iniquity. That if we are not careful, we can pass that iniquity from one generation to the next, to the next, to where people do not love all people, respect all people, honor all people, regardless of the color of their skin. Amen. We are all created in the image of Almighty God. And it's time for that generational iniquity to be broken in this nation, to be broken in the South, to be broken in Summerton, Alabama, to be broken in Walker County. It's time to break that thing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. But before we can do that, we've got to acknowledge, we've got to admit that it's there. Now, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 5, be clothed with humility. In other words, this is something we should wear, walk in every day of our lives, for God resists the proud. You can remain in your pride this morning and refuse to acknowledge and to admit that there's iniquity in your family. And it'll continue to plague and torment generations after you. Or you can admit and acknowledge it today and begin to do something about it. Because the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He opposes the proud. He's against the proud. But he helps those who come admitting they need help and that they cannot do this without his help. Acknowledge. Here's the second thing we're going to do if we're going to break generational iniquities. Believe you can change. Pastor, that's just the way I am. But it isn't the way you have to continue to be. God has given us the song that we sang here this morning. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us. So we've got to believe that we can change. Listen, listen to what the Bible says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Look at your neighbor and say, that's what you need. You need to be sanctified completely. <laughs> and may your whole soul, spirit, and body. Notice that's what he's talking about when he talks about complete sanctification. Our spirit, our soul, our bodies being sanctified and being preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you why so many of us have such a struggle. When we were born again, the only part of us that truly was born again was our spirit. That was the only part of us that was born again. Not our soul and definitely not our bodies. You've heard me say it before. Our spirit has been saved. Our soul is being saved. And our body one day will be saved. 
One day we will get a brand new body. We already have a brand new spirit. Did you know that in your spirit you are perfect before God? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So your position before God in your spirit, you're perfect. But not the case with your soul and your body. That's why Paul said, I want you to be completely sanctified. Because here's what we've got. We've got a redeemed spirit over here that wants to do everything that God commands us to do. We want to do what is right. But then we have a body over here that's being bombarded by hell that wants to continue to disobey and do what is wrong. And then right in the middle of it all, you've got your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions that decides, am I going to walk in the spirit or am I going to walk in the flesh? Because your, your, your soul is, first of all, your mind. So let's just say this. Let's say that when you are tempted by the enemy, or, or let, let me use this example. Let's say that you're under much stress. Your body wants to respond one way. Your spirit wants to respond another way. And if your mind has been conditioned, in other words, if you have built your life around a lie that you saw growing up, you're going to respond differently because the way that you saw growing up in your environment, the way that stress was handled is, well, alcohol will get me through this. And so in your mind, you're thinking that's the solution. If you don't have a transformed mind, then... Not only is it your mind, it's your will, that part of you that decides, that part of you that makes choices, your will. We have to daily submit our will to the Father. Jesus even prayed, not my will, but your will be done, a submissive will. And then your emotions. Oh, this is where it gets real interesting because when we are tempted, we have to decide, am I going to do what's right or am I going to do what feels good? How does it make me feel? And we don't care about long term how it's going to make us feel. We're, we're in the moment. How is it going to make me feel in this, in this moment? If it feels good, do it. But just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right to do it. So that's why Paul said... At the center of it all is your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. And that's why he said in Romans chapter 12, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice that one area of our life where we struggle. He said, you've got to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means you can't cast out the flesh. You've got to crucify the flesh. It's a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Notice, he doesn't mention our spirit because our spirit is perfect. Our spirit already wants to do what God wants us to do, always wants us to obey. But it's our soul and our body that needs to be sanctified and we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and our mind has got to be transformed and how is our mind transformed? There's got to be a divine exchange that takes place. You've got to 
Cast out the lies that have been built up in your mind by infiltrating it with the truth of God's word. Amen. A divine exchange, exchanging the lies of the enemy for the truth of God's word. It's the only way. I know you want me to just lay hands on you and it'll all be over with. This is why Paul said, you've got to work out your own salvation, not work in. You got to work it out. That is, it starts by being obedient, walking in the spirit and not the flesh. Here's the third thing you got to commit to knowing and obeying God's word. I know these are very practical things, but I'm telling you, this will work to break a generational iniquity in your life. I thought about getting up here and talking about all the weapons of our warfare, you know, the blood and the name and those things. And, And those things are extremely important. But sometimes we want to put responsibility on somebody else for getting us free rather than us taking responsibility for ourselves. we got to commit to knowing and obeying God's word. John 8, 32 says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He's not just talking about having a knowledge and an understanding. He's talking about also applying and being obedient to the truth. Now, how do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Paul says, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. We're human beings, but we don't fight like human beings fight. We don't fight like the world fights. Because, you know, when it comes to the generational iniquity of anger, the world just says, oh, just count to 10. You know, when you get mad, just count to 10. Well, wouldn't it be great if the next time you got mad, you counted to 10 and you never had a problem with anger again? That's the world's method. But we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought into captivity. Instead of your thoughts bringing you into captivity, why don't you bring your thoughts into captivity? Amen. And he says this, he says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready, I love this, to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I want to tell you what the most powerful weapon is that you as a believer have in your armor. It's called obedience. Because when you obey, it punishes. It destroys disobedience. James tells us like this in James 1, 22. He says, remember, it is a message to obey. Talking about the truth of God's word. He said, it's a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like you're looking at your face in a mirror and doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. (laughs) But if you keep looking steadfastly, into God's perfect law. Look at this. The law that sets you free. And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Oh, I got so blessed today, went to church and heard a great message. No. You are blessed by doing What the Word of God tells us to do. I cannot emphasize how important this is. 
because most of what I'm sharing with every one of you here this morning, this information, you've already got the information. You pretty much know everything I'm telling you already today. But if somehow you can begin to take this information and begin to apply it, begin to actually do it, begin to actually obey it, you're going to see chains come off of you and your family. I'm telling you, it works when we obey God. When we obey. And then here's a fourth thing we got to do. In case you haven't noticed, it's as easy as A, B, C, D, E. D is depend on the Holy Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. First John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That spirit inside of you is greater than the spirit in the world. You can't do this alone, but you can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And then this last thing to break a generational iniquity, this is my favorite. I got so excited when the Holy Spirit showed this to me this past week. And that is, you've got to establish a new legacy. What do you want your legacy to be for the generations that follow you? Do you want them to struggle and be tormented by the same generational iniquity that has tormented your family for years? Or are you ready to put an end to it? Because let me tell you, the thing that stands between a cursed generation and a blessed generation is a person who says enough is enough. And it's going to stop right here today. So we're going to establish a new legacy. Paul, or the, the, the psalmist David, tells us this in Psalm 112. And I find this interesting. The man who struggled with generational iniquity. He said this. He said, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Now listen to what he says. His descendants will be mighty on earth. That's what I'm praying for. In every family at Summerton Church of God, I'm praying that your descendants will be mighty on the earth. I'm praying that your descendants will be blessed. You and your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. I pray that you will be blessed of God. I pray that you will be a mighty generation. He said the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever hallelujah righteousness endures forever today you can begin to establish a new legacy today you can say you know what what I've struggled with and what my family before me struggled with my kids I'm not my kids aren't going to have to fight this battle because we're going to break it today in the name of Jesus hallelujah